This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It seems that everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to know the things that perhaps they can't know, but increasingly are they're being able to know because of the developments of modern science. Things that heretofore humankind could not possibly has, have even thought of knowing are now available. One of the things that people want to know is where they came from. In fact, uh, kids that are adopted eventually develop a, a yearning to know who their birth parent was. And so they want to know. And they go on a search. How do they search? Well, most of them don't search uh, scientifically. They search in other ways. And uh, sometimes they find and sometimes they don't find. But everybody wants to know. The one thing that everybody doesn't want to know is something we used to sing about. We used to sing a song, Everybody Wants to Know Who Jesus Is. The problem is not everybody wants to know who Jesus is, and yet... The Bible says he's the creator of heaven and earth and everything that was. Why is it we don't want to know about him? Well, I guess that's one of the fundamental enigmas of human nature, isn't it? But today on Viewpoint, we're going to explore something different. You are probably aware that so many people are searching for their heritage, their ancestors. We even have uh, websites about ancestors and how to secure an understanding of your ancestors of where you came from. Well, why do you want to know? What difference does it make? You are who you are. Rene uh, Descartes said, you, you think, therefore you are, so why do you want to know anything about your ancestors? Well, maybe it's important. Our guest today thinks it is important, and for perhaps reasons different than what you might think. Now, some people think it's really important. For instance, we had a gentleman here in Virginia who was convicted about 40 years ago of a heinous crime. Just a couple of years ago, through DNA, he was exonerated and released from prison and then had a speaking tour in which tears poured down people's faces as they listened to his story. It was important for him to know and for others to know who he was, and DNA made it possible. Well, what else has DNA made possible? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to explore that. We're going to explore that with our friend Nathaniel Jason uh, Jensen, who has written a book called Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. In fact, Ken Ham, founder of uh, the Genesis story out there and Noah's Ark out there in Kentucky, says that our guest today has found the Rosetta Stone of human history. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's hear from him himself. Nathaniel Jensen, good to have you on the program, Nathaniel. Thanks so much for having me on, Chuck. Well, uh, what does this Rosetta Stone mean? Some people may not have a clue what that means. Yes, the analogy is drawn from the study of Egyptian hieroglyphics, where for centuries no one could read the inscriptions on the on the on the, the pyramids, the ancient Egyptian ruins, and finding a stone that had the Egyptian hieroglyphics plus 
the ancient Greek language, which people could read, and then another language, allowed people to finally connect the dots and, and solve this long-standing enigma. And so the claim of this book is there are enigmas about human history, enigmas about where we came from. Finally, we've got a map now to figure out how each one of us connects back to the men listed in Genesis 10, the genealogies, the male genealogies of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, it's it's amazing when you read those genealogies. Uh, most people try to skip right over them, thinking it's the most boring thing they have ever encountered. But one day, I was reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and it said that this was the day of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I began to weep, just weep. It was as if the Lord had revealed something to me in those simple words that Jesus Christ was the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Abraham by faith, the son of David by lineage. And then we know that God promised his kingdom ultimately would rest upon the throne of David by lineage. And uh, so this matter of lineage seems to be a very important thing to God himself. Yes, and I would say it even goes back all the way to Genesis 3, where God promises that there's going to be a singular male offspring of the woman who's going to reverse what happened in that fatal day in the garden and crush the serpent, which, of course, we can look back with New Testament eyes and see that the fulfillment is Jesus, but we can know that because the genealogy of Genesis 5, from Adam down to Noah, and Genesis 11, from Shem, Noah's son, down to Abraham, and, and, and so on. And as you mentioned, Matthew 1, connecting down to Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of this ancient promise to Adam and Eve to be the one who crushes the serpent and brings about the hope of, of, of return to paradise, as they once had before they sinned. Well, there's a whole lot of space, time and experience and so on, that has happened between Adam and today, between Adam and Nathaniel, between Adam and Chuck. And uh, the question then is, how do we connect the dots and for what reason? One of the things that we're known for on this program is connecting the dots on things that seem to be unconnectable. Uh, And we do that with regard to human history, biblical prophecy, and so many other aspects that are going on in our world so that we as followers of Jesus Christ can understand the times and uh, make better use of what God has made available to us in these very, very challenging times. So why would this understanding uh, the heritage, the uh, ancestry, be of such critical importance right now? Give us the long view of this. I'd say there's a number of reasons for this. If you think of it from an apologetics perspective, which is really what we're all about as Answers in Genesis and apologetics ministry and, and in encouraging believers to take the Bible plainly from its very first verse and to exhort unbelievers to take seriously the evidence that God has left in nature, a la Romans 1, things that are clearly seen, and to do business with their Creator and with His Son, who was sent to die for their sins and rose again. So this research showing that in our DNA, and we're focusing specifically on the male inherited DNA, the the Y chromosome, we can see the mirror image of Genesis chapter 1, which again, excuse me, Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10 being essentially a, a very large genealogy, about 70 male names from Shem, from Ham, from Japheth, Mm -hmm. you can see that replica at the base 
of the family tree for all of humanity that we can reconstruct from DNA. So we have a very powerful confirmation that the biblical anthropology, which, as we just mentioned, plays a key role in identifying Jesus' lineage, that biblical anthropology is true, and the Bible on which it's based is true. The gospel that's based on the Bible is true, and so people need to do business with the Lord on this basis. In a sense, you could say, based on Romans 1, that even though the things of God are clearly seen, the unbelieving man suppresses the truth. This research comes and says, nope, sorry, that excuse doesn't work. You have to do business with your Creator, so let's get down to the heart of the matter. All right, well, that's what we're going to do in the balance of the program. Friends, our special guest, Nathaniel Jensen, with his book, Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. Maybe we'll have a big surprise here later on in the program. I hope you stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Our special guest today says he's a biologist uh, with a bachelor in science, and then also uh, he uh, graduated from Harvard and uh, planned on working in a cancer lab, and through that experience began to be immersed in the world of how cells develop, how they change, how they mutate, producing lasting effects on not only the people that are involved with those cells, but also on his own career in ways that he never, ever anticipated. So he said in 2009, he began developing a research program on the origin of species. Hmm, that's a familiar term, the origin of species. He said the field of genetics, the study of inheritance at the DNA level became the key. So he has actually written a couple of books to uh, counteract the original author of The Origin of Species. Well, actually, the second author, the original author was someone called Jesus Christ, and he is the one who wrote the original book on The Origin of Species. It's called The Bible. Then came along a fellow by the name of Charles Darwin, who tried to debunk the Bible by his uh, system, and uh, that began to be picked up uh, back in the mid-1800s, uh, and developed into so many permutations and combinations that affected our entire world, including the field of law. That's right, the field of law. That's where reading and briefing cases came from. A new method of studying law came from Darwin. Well, enough of that. Today, our special guest talking about examining DNA and particularly Y chromosomes. So we asked the question, why? Why chromosomes, Nathaniel? In this case, there's some somewhat banal technical reasons for it. If someone takes, let's say, a typical DNA test from AncestryDNA.com, what they're usually looking at is the DNA you get from both parents, Mm -hmm. and the dirty little secret of these tests is these tests don't tell you much beyond what you already know from your family tree (laughs) because every generation, each of us is made up 50% 50% genetically of each of our parents. Half the DNA from mom, half the mm-hmm. DNA from dad. Right. But that's also true for our parents. They're each 
50% each of their parents, which means genetically I'm 50% my parents, 25% each of my four grandparents, 12.5% great-grandparents, and, and that number drops by half. It's an exponential decrease. So that just a few generations ago, the genetic signature of those ancestors is 5%, 3%. It's something almost undetectable. Mm-hmm. And again, for technical reasons, most of the results that you get from, let's say, Ancestry DNA, oh, I'm 3% African, I'm 2% Chinese. Most of that's unreliable. So that sort of test is really only good to go back to maybe great-grandparents, and I'm going to guess most of us already know who our great-grandparents are. So you pay $100 and don't learn much more from it. All right, so it's only reliable if you want to get a grant from Harvard University like uh, one of our senators. You claim to be uh, Native American based upon some nefarious idea or information that you gleaned. Uh, Come to find out it wasn't true, but you still maintain it because you want that grant. And I feel like her results almost built the case even better against her because it was such a tiny fraction that I feel like everyone kind of laughed saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's your proof <laughs> that's what you're going to say yeah and I don't even know if that number is going to be reliable so we've been using a type of DNA that doesn't get diluted so that's really the problem we all face when dealing with DNA 99% of our DNA comes from both parents and so it's going to be 50% 25% 12.5% you just can't get around that basic fact of inheritance Unless you look at DNA that comes only through mom or only through dad, through mom, you can you can inherit the mitochondrial DNA. There's a lot of statistical noise to make a long story short that no one can seem to solve, and so that's that's actually where I started. Took it as far as we could, and then kind of had to stop because of the noise that made it difficult to be precise. Then switched over to this Y chromosome inherited from father to son, grandfather to his son to his son. So my three boys have my Y chromosome, I have my dad's Y chromosome, and so on. That's the main tool we're using, and it records history, records the passage of time, the passage of generations, because when it's inherited, it's inherited imperfectly. So on average, in most ethnic groups, the rate at which the Y chromosome gets passed on imperfectly, because it's a sequence basically of DNA letters, mm-hmm. it's about three mistakes that happen per generation. So if you compare my Y chromosome to my dad's, you'll likely find three mistakes. You compare mine to each of my three boys, you'll likely find three mistakes. And they, as best we can tell, appear to be random. So if you were to compare my boys to my dad's, their grandfather, two-generation difference, there should be three plus three, six differences. So you can compare my Y chromosome to yours, Chucks. We can count the number of differences and say, okay, approximately this many number of generations ago, you and I had a common male ancestor. Very and so this is then the basis for comparing men around the globe. And then you can do things like, okay, when did this people group from Africa have a common ancestor with this people group from Spain? Or this group of Arabs have a common ancestor with this, this group of Israelis? Or, and, and, and so on, with people groups around the globe. And you can see, if you have the biblical time scale, and that's the key in this case, and a very strong argument for the veracity of Scripture, if you have the biblical time scale, you can see the genetic echo of migrations, like Muhammad's conquest and movements out of the Arabian Peninsula, mm-hmm. Peninsula into North Africa, into Spain, you can, and, and so on. So there's a lot that flows out of it. And again, at the base of this entire tree, so you, you, again, you, you compare Y chromosomes, male-inherited DNA from men around the globe, you count up the number of differences, you, you visualize them, and it looks like a family tree. At the base of this tree 
is a structure that looks like the structure in Genesis 10. So there's this profound confirmation globally. For people around the globe, there's, there's implications for missions. I remember talking to a Bible translator who had worked in New Guinea, and he said, that's, that's one of our challenges, is they say, well, this, you know, this, this is a white man's book. Why, why would I care about the Bible? Mm. And to be able to show, no, your story starts right here in Genesis 10. This mm-hmm. is your book, too. Wow. Is okay. Deal, then? Well, let me ask you a couple relevant. of questions, then. Uh, since there are those who claim they have the Shroud of Turin, which might contain the DNA of Jesus, as they say, uh, would they be able to claim the ancestry of Jesus, and uh, how would that frame out in terms of the Y chromosome? And if that is true with regard to males, then why is it that the Jewish people determine Jewishness on the basis of their mother, not their father? That's a good couple of questions. Thank you. Number one, with with regards to the shroud, any, well, I should say the mainstream view is any DNA we can get from the deceased or from ancient items, they think we can reliably get DNA from it. I've been skeptical of it from the start, mm-hmm. for one, based on my own experience working with DNA from my undergraduate days, where we were working, just so happened, on, on questions of plants and photosynthesis and working with single-celled algae, which... You can grow easily in the lab. You can get DNA from them easily. Great. But even if you get DNA from them and then you stick it not just in water but in buffer because DNA is a chemical and you don't want it to break down, and then you stick it in a freezer to try to preserve it, even after all these special steps we take as scientists to preserve the DNA, it'll still give you weird results after a year of sitting in the freezer. And so I've been skeptical thinking, well, what if this person has sat in the ground or in the grave or... You have this shroud that's been sitting in who knows what conditions for how long. Mm-hmm. How can we be sure we're getting something reliable? Long story short, we have independent evidence that I think it's unreliable, so not to throw a wet blanket all that, I don't think we would get reliable DNA from the shroud, and I think it would still be an open Well, question. besides which, you're not going to get any any DNA of God the Father, are you? No, people have asked me, given <laughs> Jesus is male, you know, what, what, what's right. this Y chromosome? And I said, I don't know. I, can't, I don't know that Scripture gives us enough information. <laughs> miraculously conceived. So in, in so many outward senses, he's obviously male in terms of his physical body. And so right. presumably, mm-hmm. since DNA is what grows and maintains the body, and he grows in the womb, and the Y chromosome encodes male features and such, he has a Y chromosome. Is he given a perfect one that would have matched Adam's? Is he, is he given one that's, in a sense, dated to uh, 2,000 years ago? I don't know. It's interesting questions. I just, mm. I don't, and of course, because Jesus never married well, children, we're not going to have a record of that to know what it looked like until we get to heaven. Yeah, unless you talk to Dan Brown in his uh, Da Vinci Code, huh. where he maintains that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and they had kids. So there's so much out there that is spurious, and uh, yeah. we have to we have to kind of work our way through all of those weeds uh, to get to and keep on track. The other interesting question that I have for you is there are many, well, I should say some, who maintain that Jesus was black, uh, that he actually is African or, uh, yeah, that, that he is Negroid or African. Uh, how would you respond to that, given your research concerning uh, the Y chromosome? And uh, on the other side, those who would claim that he is Caucasian. Good question. I don't know that we have any good DNA evidence to say from genetics alone what he looked like. I think we can make a good case scripturally. He's born into a Jewish family, and mm-hmm. so he's going to look like a Jew, which Middle Eastern tends to be 
a melting pot of sorts. It's at the crossroads of Europe, Asia, and Africa. It's kind of like, what does a Jew look like? <laughs> yes, yes. So to this day, you still see people who bear a mix of all those features. That's right. And which I'm going to guess he probably looked kind of like Adam, which would have been a blending of features as well, so that Adam and Eve could produce all the various so-called races that we see in the globe today. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered you had asked a question that I'd forgotten about, the genetics of the Jews. Right. Why? And I'm glad you pointed that out, because another aspect of this research is we can now find, thanks to the genealogies in Scripture, the Y chromosome echo of the line of Abraham. Mm-hmm. It is not, as you pointed out, as what you pointed out implies, it is not the majority line among modern Jews, because ever since, I think, the 400s A.D., they stopped defining themselves in terms of paternal lineage, and instead defined maternal lineage, which I've got a, I've got a colleague who is Jewish descent, and I think he's trying to either get citizenship in Israel, or and he's, it's, it's a contemporary question he's trying to solve, and he can't get it because his, his Jewish ancestry is on his father's side, which it's still boggles my mind. I don't know if the decision was made because it was just practical. There's been so many conquests of the Jewish people that right. it, it gets so diluted. What are you going to do? It's, something, it's a fascinating question and uh, something I might even want to look into a little bit further myself. So uh, the question is, we're, we're going through a lot of things here that are fascinating, but then the question still looms over our conversation. Why this discussion? Why do we need to know as eight billion, almost 8 billion people are on the earth today, why do we need to trace uh, where they came from? Uh, why, why do we need to understand the trajectory of the Y chromosome throughout history and the various population sizes? Uh, you go through all of that in your book, and it's amazing. But why do we need to know that? I'm going to take your question and rephrase it in the context of, because I'm going to make a claim, I think every school child should learn this. So why should every school child learn this? Number one, it shows the biblical anthropology, the biblical record, the biblical history is all true. Mm -hmm. You can see the echo of it very clearly in DNA from people around the globe. Secondly, this research, especially as you start to trace it out from Babel, from Genesis 10, and and see the echoes and, and the consequences of human history on DNA, what you see smashes our stereotypes of race, of racism, for example, one of the things I, I show in the book is, and, and, and my own DNA test bears this out, most Europeans, light-skinned people like me, mm-hmm. or people of European descent, trace their Y chromosomes, not back to the Romans, but to immigrants from Central Asia who came into Europe in the last thousand years. So a thousand years ago, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather probably looked more Chinese than he did Roman. Well, that sure puts can, a different slant on history. Yes, yes, and you can see you can see African lineages. There's a there's I don't know six percent of Swedish people, Norwegian people, Scandinavian people who are light, light skinned, light haired, mm-hmm. whose Y chromosomes take them back to the Arabs of the Muslim conquest. But it doesn't stop there. That Arab DNA goes back even further to Africa, to the Nubians, who are some of the darkest skinned people on the planet. And the Nubians themselves at one point ruled Egypt. So you, if, you, if you can imagine all that, My you've got goodness. light-skinned Scandinavians who have legitimate genealogical connections to the throne of Egypt through a path that involves also all sorts of changes in skin tone. So, so why would I want to know, as a 50% uh, Scandinavian, why would I want to know whether 
I am related to Pharaoh, representing say, representing uh, uh, Satan. <laughs> yes. So I'd say it isn't, it isn't so much the Pharaoh aspect, but to have every school child growing up knowing that the so-called races have changed multiple mm. times in human history utterly demolishes any, preemptively demolishes any supposed basis for superiority of races, inferiority of races. You almost can't even define race when what we call Caucasian today was Chinese-looking. All right, friends, the book Traced, it's a hard-bound book. It's a uh, a $25 book, yours for $22, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at $5 for postage and handling. The book, again, is Traced. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. What color is God's skin? That was the name of a song back in the 1970s. What color is God's skin? It is red and yellow. It is black. It is white. Every man's the same in the good Lord's sight. Well, this DNA discussion here today tends to give uh, uh, confirmation to that, doesn't it, Nathaniel? Yes, it shows that what we call races haven't always been this skin tone or hair type or hair color for many years in human history, and one group becomes another group, which becomes another group, and it, it's it's far messier than I think even I ever imagined, mm. and, and, and puts to flight any attempts to try to argue for the superiority of one race or the inferiority of another race below or above another. Which destroys the whole idea, basically, of racism. And so humankind throughout history has always tried to find ways to separate or identify a people group from another people group, whether it happens to be the Aryan race, so to speak, as defined by Hitler, uh, whether it has to do with the Chinese race, as defined by Mao Zedong or uh, Jim, the the current uh, Xi Jinping there in, in China, who tends to rule the world as a Chinese empire. It seems that all of these throughout history, have uh, made their mark and then somehow get confused in the various people groups around the world. So how are we to make any sense of this? I'd say with DNA, we can make a lot of sense of who went where. It just contradicts the longstanding stereotypes or Mm -hmm. assumptions that we've grown up with, I've grown up with. So, for example, my mother's German, half my relatives are over in Germany, and so thinking through what's my 
German side, mother's side ancestry, okay, I'd probably naturally assume if you ask me 20 years ago, I guess the Germanic people, maybe those who came and overthrew the Roman, Roman Empire, mm-hmm. never once crossed my mind that many of my ancestors may have been Central Asians, Chinese-looking, Asian-looking, and not long-standing Europeans. So it it throws all that, in a sense, into chaos. It's organized chaos, because you can still trace it out with this DNA-based family tree, but it the history of peoples doesn't always correlate to the history of politics, and that's where it, it really throws a wrench in the system, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly given yourself to this. Uh, you, you say that mathematics plays a huge part in this. For sure. And I'd say there's not that much of it, because if it did, and I don't like math very much, I'd, I'd probably run away from it, but there's there's a huge amount of math in the sense of being able to crunch the numbers, the sheer mm-hmm. amount of data that's involved. File sizes, just to have a single yeah. Y-chromosome sequence, you're talking gigabytes. You have to, in, in graduate school, I had a, a laptop. I was in graduate school 2003, 2009, and my, my laptop was uh, a 30-gigabyte hard drive, and these days you can get a Y-chromosome sequence that's about three times that size. So to, to think that we yeah. now have DNA data from one person that exceeds the size of three laptops is just wild to me. Yeah, so it is amazing. skills are, are critical. So you're going to need the most powerful computer in the world that is yet to be developed or is in the process, as they say. Maybe it's quantum physics. I don't know. Whatever that is, nobody seems to be able to define it very well. Uh, but... Uh, in order to be able to track all of this kind of information. But one of the things that I note, and I've known individuals uh, who were far, far smarter smarter than I, uh, who got their doctorates in various uh, scientific areas, one an astrophysicist on the West Coast, and another uh, a mathematician on the East Coast, who now is a... Uh, uh, theological professor and has been for about 30 years. So each of these individuals are coming up with different thoughts, different ideas about the origin of humankind and uh, whether or not the biblical account is true or is not true, whether Darwin's account is true or partially true or not true. And uh, it seems that uh, even within the Christian realm, uh, there is much confusion that's uh, being brought up in the name of science. How do you respond? I'd have, a, real quickly, a number of responses to it. I'd say if you look at, let's, let's start with something that often throws uh, the average layperson for a loop. If They might say to me, look, I don't necessarily understand everything you're saying, but I look at the statistics, and 97%, 99% of PhDs would all disagree with you. So... How do you make sense of that? Or, or sometimes hostile reporters will throw that in your face and say, how, how do you explain that? Is, it, mm-hmm. is there some grand conspiracy to, to hide the truth? Or they're, they're just all dumb. You know, yeah, they're not talking about off. disagreeing with me. You're talking about disagreeing with someone who maintains that position. Yes, yes, right. Because I haven't indicated anything like that. I'm just asking yes. the question. No, no, sorry, I'm saying that the, the, the reporter would ask me, how do I explain the fact that so many people disagree with me? Exactly. Me, Daniel, uh, and I say it's neither of those options. There's a third option, which is the Supreme Court, the legal system in this country, has effectively barred the teaching of creation science. Mm-hmm. And so for the past 40 years or more, effectively, you have a whole generation of scientists who've grown up and are never exposed once 
to a technical Young Earth Creation Science paper. They're forbidden from learning about the other side, and so is it any surprise you feed them evolution only, outcomes evolution only, and I can you, you can almost get a flavor for this when you start exposing some of these folks to creation yeah. science ideas. I, you, you get almost a visceral reaction. Well, because I've done that. These- I've done that in one of my books uh, called King of the Mountain, <clears throat> actually Seduction of the Saints, and we talk about the isms of our time, and uh, scientism is not science necessarily. It's scientism where you have. Uh, a general hypothesis, an idea that you're going to promote as truth, and then you just uh, conform all of your evidence to that, no matter what other evidence there is, such as Richard Levantin, the professor there at Harvard, where you uh, graduated, said, uh, well, we can't, we can't allow anything about creation or the Bible or anything like that uh, in our discussion because, as he said, we can't allow a divine foot in the door. So uh, that shows you, it testifies to exactly what you're saying. We just can't allow that kind of thinking or that kind of discussion. And I would take it even a step further. One of the more sophisticated ways they've used in their legal reasoning in public to try to marginalize my type of view, a creationist type view, is to say that it it doesn't make testable predictions, or they'll take it even a step further and say creation science is anti-science. Science is about questioning things, discovering mm-hmm. new things, and creationism is all about this is the way it is, end of discussion, stop <laughs> stop investigating, these sorts of things. It, yeah. it's, uh, it's a stereotype. What this research does, what, what the research in the book Trace does, and even research now falling up from it for the past year, year and a half, flatly contradicts that. I've been making predictions. I've been exploring new things. I've, I've been making discoveries along the way about human history, mm-hmm. things that no one knew before, and because the book's now been out for about a year and a half, there's been some responses to it. And one of the main critics, his main objection and reason for claiming what I'm doing is wrong, scientifically wrong, is that it disagrees with the textbook. I thought, you didn't just say what I thought you said, because I heard you say you have a holy book that you're not allowed to question. And that sounds about one of the most unscientific things I've ever heard of. Isn't that amazing? That's what you've been been accusing me of. So (laughs) I've, I've, I've... Try to be generous, and, yeah. and I deal with. I'm, we're dealing with smart people; they're not dumb. But I thought you just gave the game away. You're basically admitted this is a religious view. There's a book you can't question. There's high priests who tell you how to interpret it. Right. Even though I, I can lay out a total scientific case and give my reasons for it, do experiments, lay out predictions, and it doesn't matter because apparently some ideas are are not to be questioned, which sounds a lot like dogma to me. All right. Now, you you have a uh, chapter called The Lost Civilization. Uh, you say 6,000 years ago, a civilization arose unlike any the world had ever seen before. What does that mean? Each of the books I've written, Replacing Darwin in 2017 and this one traced in, in 2022, I have an unbelieving audience in mind. I, I, or I should say I have a dual believing and unbelieving audience. It's very useful for believers, but because I went to college at a secular school, to graduate school at a secular school, my my peers, the unbelieving world is still, I guess, close to my heart. And I want them to read this book and be persuaded by it. And while most of these books focus on the scientific element and showing, look, the mainstream view is wrong, the biblical view is correct, I close each one with a presentation of the gospel. Here's Here's what it really comes down to. And in this case, 
I tried to present the gospel in a manner that fits the theme of the book, a mm-hmm. historical perspective. Right. Civilization being Adam and Eve, which was the greatest that ever existed. It was perfect. It was in a paradise, and it was ruined because they sinned against the Creator, the one who had made it all, and not given them glory, not given them thanks. It disobeyed his explicit commands, which, of course, humanity has done ever since. All right, but you use the so, words the world had ever seen before. You're implying that there was a previous creation. Oh. Well, then I probably should rewrite that sentence. Because I think so, because it's uh, implicit in the sentence is that this 6,000-year civilization that described in the Bible is not the only one, that there were others before it. Yes, good point. So just to clarify my position, then, thank you, is uh, I would say Adam and Eve was the first civilization. They had five days of creation prior to their appearing mm-hmm. on the Earth, so... Uh, well, sometimes it takes a lawyer doing cross-examination to bring out some of these refined points. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> upon cross-examination, How's that? <laughs> the, the position is there were no other civilizations prior to theirs. They're right. the first, the greatest, and and part of the hope of the gospel is that one day God will restore a paradise that no man has, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God's prepared for those who love him. All right, so why does your study of the Y chromosome across all of these 6,000 years uh, establish for you that evolution, as presented, is impossible, is uh, is just not uh, the, the way to anchor an understanding about uh, humankind and civilization as we know it uh, over these years? I'd say... If we're just talking this book, Trace, the main argument is evolution is wrong because creation science does things so much better, which is a very different way of arguing mm-hmm. than what we've done as creationists for the past 40 years or so. There's been a lot of time we've spent showing here's how evolution can't work, yeah. which is that's a great argument. Here's where evolution fails with the evidence, good argument. And now we're taking a step further and saying here's where creation does even better. We're now taking the lead, which I think is an exciting place to be in. All right, that's a great point. Friends, the book is called Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. $22 will put this $25 hardbound book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. A number of years ago, when the Ark Encounter first opened, and you've seen the advertisings for that, the advertisements for that on television, but when it first opened, I uh, determined to take my grandchildren then and bought a new vehicle 
to uh, be able to transport this whole family and uh, took them to uh, two places, one called the Creation Museum and the other called the Ark Encounter. And uh, the family was absolutely fascinated there. Uh, my grandchildren were at that time much younger. One is now a doctor and two are in, uh, about ready to graduate from engineering school. But they found things there. They heard some things there, even in some of the talks that just totally inspired them. Uh, what what caused you, uh, Nathaniel, to get tied in with Ken Ham there in the Creation Museum and uh, Answers in Genesis? It was a long process. I can summarize real quickly. When I went into graduate school, my goal was to do cancer research, cure cancer, get, the, get a Ph.D., cure cancer, win the Nobel Prize, and have a platform to preach the gospel. Which and just think fine. you could have been a trillionaire. <laughs> which, in theory, is a noble goal. I realized halfway <laughs> through that my ambitions had been become selfish, and I was basically mm. just trying to run people over in the process, so mm. time of conviction, also the time at which I feel like even though I'd grown up in church and professed faith and all these sorts of things, mm-hmm. it's when the gospel went from being old news to good news and saw the beauty of holiness Mm. And it was transformative, and I began to ask different questions. How can I use, and, and I was taking a page from the parable of the unjust steward, Luke 16, mm-hmm. like this, use mm-hmm. and abuse what you've been given financially, right. gifting-wise, to advance the kingdom. And I asked the question, what, how can I do that? I explored overseas missions, getting into closed countries with my degree, so teach science, and then, in a sense, secretly plant churches. That fell through for a variety of reasons, probably God's providence in, in, in one sense, because I don't think I was spiritually mature enough to have jumped into that at that stage. So got close to graduating and thought, what am I going to do? Thought about going to seminary. I sent a resume, kind of offhand, to the Institute for Creation Research. This is 2009, summer Mm -hmm. of 2009, Mm -hmm. thinking, uh, I guess once a scientist, always a scientist. So in a sense, I was doing an experiment with my career, saying (laughs) maybe here's a way to still use what I've been trained in, but uh-huh. for an immediate kingdom purpose, and that's not to take anything away from those who work in the secular world, because you can be a great light there. It was just for my own personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. So now I'm about 14 years into that experiment, <laughs> still going, using the training to try to advance the kingdom and, and thoroughly enjoying it. So mm-hmm. that's how I got into this. Well, I should say, backing up, I got, and part of the reason I got into science, I'd say, is because my dad was a dentist, and so I'd grown up with science in the home, and and liked it. I didn't like blood, per se, so I tried to avoid doctor So was your dad trying to extract DNA from all of his clients? I don't think he thought in those terms, and <laughs> even to this day, if someone takes my blood, I'll look, look the other way, because I don't like it. So uh, uh, I appreciate what he did, and, and appreciate that I don't have to do it. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, you've enjoyed your experience there with uh, Answers in Genesis? Yes, very much so. I've, I've when I went from ICR to AIG, from Institute for Creation Research to Answers in Genesis, I had to laugh a little because historically ICR had been a bit more academic, research-focused, it's in the name, mm-hmm. and AIG had focused on the layperson. And when I joined the, the Institute for Creation Research in 2009, Henry Morris III, then, then CEO, had said, we need, to, we need to reach the layperson, which I thought, oh, well, this is a little bit different. And then, of course, I made a parallel move to Answers in Genesis to join the research department. And with Answers in Genesis being a little bit bigger, I'd say it's, it's given me this more division of labor, and so I have even more time now to, to work on research, publish books, research topics, and I, I just was outlining yesterday the third book I'm probably going to try to publish, which is on the lost history of North America, extending the research from Traced 
into the question of what was North America like before Europeans got here, and there's some some pretty wild things that have happened, and one of the most satisfying has been to see how when you take the biblical time scale, you analyze DNA, you analyze what's happened in the Americas, you see that a lot of the Native American tribes, First Nations, peoples in Canada, have accurate accounts of where they came from that mm-hmm. mainstream science has dismissed. So having a biblical framework mm-hmm. has this unexpected consequence of giving back to Native American nations their history that, in a sense, has been taken away. So, so what would that play out? What would the Y chromosome research do to explain away what's the debacle that's happening in the White House today? Maybe you can clarify that. For <laughs> it speaks for itself. <laughs> to address the political situation, <laughs> right? You said the uh, the things that have happened up and down in the history of the of America. And uh, so I said, well, what, what would the Y chromosome uh, study do to explain what's happening, the debacle that's happening in the White House then? But, yeah, okay. That's, that's, I'll have to chew on that one. Yeah, you will have to chew on that because... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, you have uh, indicated, uh, according to Usher's timeline, Bishop Usher's timeline, that... Uh, the Earth was created about 6,000 years ago, about 4,004 uh, B.C., I think it was. And uh, the Jewish people say that we're in the year 5784 or something like that, starting on Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah. So uh, how do you, given your knowledge of all this uh, tracing, justify the difference between those two accounts? I'm not familiar with how the Jewish people derive their current calculation. Mine, saying I'm not sure they're familiar with it either, other than the <laughs> rabbi said. I'd say if you take the the genealogies listed in in Genesis chapter five, Genesis chapter eleven, mm-hmm. you can get a, a very specific timeline from Adam down to Abraham. It's going to depend a little bit on whether or not you base it on the Masoretic text or the Septuagint. I lean mm-hmm. Masoretic, and so. I get about 2,000 years from Adam down to Abraham. Mm-hmm. I think almost everyone, even secular folks, would say Abraham was maybe 2,000 years before Christ, roughly. Mm-hmm. So that's 4,000 years, roughly, from Adam down to Jesus, and of course 2,000 years from Jesus till now, you get about 6,000 years. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's fairly straightforward. The Y chromosome can take us, because it's, it's, it's male-inherited, and we can only mm-hmm. identify differences comparatively. There's nothing special about any particular DNA position that says, hey, I'm a mutation, hey, I'm not. It's just, you compare my DNA to yours, you look at the differences, and you can explain it by mutations. So, we can only go back to Noah, because all of us, Genesis 9, are descended from his three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right. To, to go back Who to did Adam you come from? <laughs> I came, my Y chromosome... Now that you're associated with Ken Ham, are you a Hamite? You might think that. You might think Ken Ham is a Hamite, <laughs> except both of us have the... And we, we did a video on this, too, as well, announcing uh-huh. his results on air, live. Uh, both of us have the typical Western European mm-hmm. Y chromosome lineage, which happens to be known as R1B. It's just a technical term for a branch, and goes back to Central Asia, and, and ultimately back to Shem. Mm. So there is a significant minority in Europe in terms of Y chromosomes that come from Japheth, uh, and also a lesser minority from Ham. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is the Y chromosome test only records each male's just a fraction of each male's 
entire family tree, the unbroken line of paternal descent, but there's, there's all sorts of Y chromosomes that make, every, make up every one of our Y chromosome trees or mm-hmm. every one of our family trees. And so all of us are likely a mix of multiple sons of Noah because there's been so much mixing among people groups all throughout human history. that, And, and you can see this if you get relatives testing. So if you think about my kids, what's their history? I've done my Y chromosome. My mother's brother has had his tested. My father-in-law on my wife's side has his tested. We know the, the Y chromosome lineage of my father-in-law's mother's side. We know my my mother-in-law's brother. So we've we've got a pretty good picture now for my kids, and it's it's all over the map. And that's that's going to be true for pretty much every person who's walked this earth, because there has been so much mixing throughout human history. Yeah. We're all, in a sense, a, a bunch of human mutts. Coming, <laughs> so from when Noah, they because... say the apple doesn't fall fall far from the tree. It, it, it may have some truth to it on the short term, but in the long term of all of these generations going back, it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? it, it well, I might even argue the opposite and say all of us are much more related than we think, and so the apple has never fallen very far from the tree. <laughs> okay. In fact, I can make the argument just from the history of human population growth uh-huh. that you and I, I don't, I don't know anything about your history, from anything you've told me, but you and I have a 95% chance of sharing a common ancestor just 600 years ago. Isn't that and that's amazing? Just based on the math of human population growth, how family trees come together, any two people on this planet have a 95% chance of having a shared common ancestor just 600 years ago. And so, so the apple has, has never fallen very far. There you the go. Tree. Okay, so this idea of pursuing ancestry as it sometimes is uh, being promoted advertised uh, is no place for pride then because we're all interconnected we are all interconnected we're all related to many more famous people than we thought that's very exciting but or also infamous. Related to many more criminal people than we thought which is probably very not exciting so yes all, all that's true okay now i want to uh, wrap up with one thing here if indeed uh, your thinking is correct and your analysis correct which I believe that it is, that we're looking at 6,000 years of human history, then we're right on the cusp of the wrap-up of human history based upon your study of the Y chromosome going all the way back, aren't we? I'd say, in a sense, I think, yes, we're at we're non-denominational in terms of eschatology, so I have to be careful what I say in terms of official positions. Well, I said the cusp. I didn't say the yes. day or the hour. That's right. That's right. That's right. I can say from a genetic perspective, even the secular community is talking about how many mutations have accumulated in our DNA, and they're, they're, they're wondering, is there a point at which humans could possibly go extinct? And I'll illustrate this personally. When I was in graduate school, my interest wasn't human history. It was human health. And I was used to hearing people talk about, well, this disease is this genetic cause, and this disease is this genetic cause, and I tended to dismiss all of that, thinking, that's just hand-waving for you don't have a better explanation. So Mm -hmm. you just invoke genetics. But now my thinking has shifted. Having done this research on the rate of DNA change, how many mutations have accumulated, I'm now beginning to wonder, are we at the genetic cusp of some sort of catastrophic DNA breakdown? Are we finally reaching a point where there's, a, there's been enough mutations that have accumulated that we, in a sense, can't compensate anymore? So just to give a, a specific example, one of, the reasons biolo- yeah, one of the reasons biologically relatives can't marry is because they're likely going to share mutations. Right. So we, we've had enough 
good versions of DNA in the human population for some time. I'm wondering if the amount of good mutations is or, or good versions is disappearing, and the amount of mutations is going to reach a threshold where, yes, we see a lot of disease that have a genetic basis, and all this has come about having worked through the numbers from a young Earth perspective. And uh, having worked through the curse that came upon Adam as a result of his sin about 6,000 about, uh, 6, years ago, uh, 4,000 years ago. Well, what a fascinating, uh, fascinating study. And I uh, believe 6,000 years ago. All right, friends, here's the book, Traced, Human DNA's Big Surprise. And uh, again, it's a hardbound book. $25 book, yours for $22 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And again, let me remind you that our special offer concerning my 10 books that are on our website, we have never done this before, but to get the message out rapidly and quickly, we've decided to offer every single one of those books for $10 only. But it's over on the 30th of September. There will be no extensions. It's over on the 30th of September. So if you want to maintain, get a cop, get any of those books, one or more, uh, for that price, do it immediately. And remember, that if you get multiple books, the first book will be $5 postage and handling, but each successive book will only be $2 postage and handling. So avail yourself of the opportunity. Again, the book here today, Traced. Uh, obviously, you understand that Nathaniel, our guest, is uh, very well-spoken, uh, has his heart in this subject, and I think he's given us a pretty good understanding of uh, where this is going. So get a copy of that book. Go to Answers in Genesis as well. What's the website there, Nathaniel? Answersingenesis.org is the homepage. There'll be links to store and such from there. All right. All right, my friends. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by friend, by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.